Hello, On Being listeners. This is Marie Sambalay, one of the producers here at On Being Studios, and I'm back with another installment of Living the Questions. American news has been really difficult to watch these last couple of weeks as we've followed the proceedings around Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and her allegations against Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And it's bringing forth a lot of pain, anger, and frustration in so many of us. And this is something Krista really heard from you. So she stepped into the studio last week to share what's been on her mind right now, about how real conversation might help us at a time like this, and how real conversation is a relationship that goes deeper than just talking. It's been really painful for us to witness this very intimate anguish that so many women, so many people share be surfaced in such a political, unfortunately political and public way. And in the midst of all this, last Friday, the day after the hearing, you sent out this tweet saying, heartsick at the quote right and the quote left. Politics has become the thinnest of veneers over human brokenness. The vast majority of us don't want to live this way. It is left to each of us where we live to start having the conversations we want to be hearing and grow this culture up. And a lot of people took issue with this idea, uh, wondering whether we should be having conversations, civil conversations with people who've done things or represent things or even people who seem to be supporting people who've done things or represent things that we find morally reprehensible. Um, And as one of your followers put it, uh, what middle ground is there between tyranny and democracy, between rape culture and respect for women? Was there any between slavery and abolition? Sadly, history seems to show that justice is never given, only won. So, of course, Twitter is not an ideal venue for nuanced reflection and conversation on a topic like this. So tell us what you mean, Krista, when you talk about engaging in conversation and entering into relationship with people in this way. What does conversation in a context like this look like and what, what can it do? Um, you know, we did a few of these earlier this year and, and we want to start making it a habit. This is the first time I feel really nervous. You know, I feel, I feel anxious, um, kind of in my stomach talking about this. Um, but I think we've got this horrible churned up place in our in our middle kind of as a nation right now. And um, I found that spectacle um, of the hearings really, really dismaying in a way that I haven't actually let a lot. I've I've tried not to be the person who doesn't get dismayed by everything um, these last couple of years. And, um, And I think it's partly because of something that you just touched on that that there are these huge reckonings we have to have and these big conversations. And yes, I will explain what I mean by conversation because I don't just mean talking. But there are these these things we have to learn to reckon with and find words for and find, create the right spaces for. And, and we also have to come up with the questions we need to be asking ourselves and each other so we do this right. And what I found so painful and in some ways, really, I feel destructive to the work to be done was that, that the Senate hearings for a Supreme Court nominee 
were such an imperfect and flawed canvas and setting for this important work that we have to do, these important things we need to learn to say, these important parts of ourselves, of our history uh, that we need to bring into the light, these, this um, aspiration and longing that we have, and I, and I believe this is shared right to left among a much vaster group of us than, than you might imagine, you know, this longing and aspiration to do this and to wander into this territory and to get it right and to get it right for our kids, if nothing else. So, and, and I've also been thinking about how it was also an imperfect venue because um, there were so many layers of things going on. There was, you know, there, was, there is the trauma that we're now experiencing and so many, so many people, so many women ended up projecting their trauma or seeing it reflected in that testimony. So there's our reckoning with gender relationships and, and sexual abuse and and boundaries altogether and then and then there was this whole other layer where we saw the dysfunction of our political system and of our congress and in the microcosm of that committee so broken the the viciousness the animosity what it felt like the total breakdown in um, respect or an ability to communicate on that committee for which this just became a, a lens um and then also there's just this new way I think we are learning as a culture in a new generation to talk about things in public that we never talked about in public before. And again, this is an especially intimate and difficult and painful place for us to go with that. But it really is very new culturally that, that we even talk about something like sexuality in any way or something like gender or something like, um, you know, trauma or memory or, or emotional health or even, you know, bro culture. And I, and I don't just mean that in terms of gender. I mean in terms of us kind of thinking about what kind of humans we're raising in a new way and, and trying to let that be something we can talk about in our most official spaces. So all these layers are happening that end up not doing justice to, I think, any of them. So I guess there are a couple of things in your question and in, in what came back um, from the tweet that do feel really essential to define. And one of them is this question about, you know, well, about the nature of conversation. When I... Uh, the point of speaking together differently is learning to live together differently. And I'm not interested in talking for talking's sake, ever. Uh, and yet, <laughs> our capacity as humans, in fact, our compulsion as humans to share space with each other, to put words, which are very often inadequate, but to struggle to put words around um, our deepest thoughts and our deepest longings and our most difficult subjects to do that with each other, with strangers, with those closest to us. It's not necessarily easier with those closest to us than it is with perfect strangers. Um, you know, that that's the root of what is happening in conversation that is um, at the core of what it means to be human. It's also the core of how we grow. It's the, at the core of 
how we form and build relationship and sustain relationship and sustain relationship that can uh, not just survive, but even deepen at these inflection points where we have to look back at how we've been and and decide we want to do better. But, you know, a long time ago, I interviewed um, Anthony Appiah, who in the meantime has become, the, you know, an ethicist column for the New York Times. And he's a philosopher, and he had studied, um, has studied how moral change happens across history and across cultures. And, of course, this is a subject I'm really interested in in general. You know, over long periods of time, I mean, and, you know, how foot binding was ended in China, how slavery stopped being a fundament of the British Empire, how dueling stopped being an honorable way for gentlemen, including our politicians, to resolve debates. And so one of the things he offered me that has been a gift of that conversation that I've carried forward ever since is the original meaning of the word conversation. It, it is not just about words passing between, you know, mouths and ears. It's about shared life. And, you know, I've been thinking ever since, like, listening is about bringing our lives into conversation. So that's what I mean when I say conversation. I means something much bigger than talk. And I think we also can all think to the most important conversations we've had in our lives, the hardest, the ones that were turning points. They have a lot of silence in them. They have trust in them, which often has had to be earned before that conversation was possible. I, I, when I'm talking about creating better conversation, I'm thinking about the entire complex of what goes into that. Right now, we don't even, we have work to do to create the spaces and the trust to even have the kinds of conversations I'm talking about. Uh, the work is bigger. A conversation begins before any words are spoken. The tone is set. What is possible is framed. So that's what I think of also when I think of conversation. Um, and I think of the fact that conversation done well strengthens relationship. And we certainly need relationship. And, I, and also, I'm just going to elaborate on this. Conver a good conversation has good questions in it. It has really searching questions in it. It has genuine curiosity. There was no genuine curiosity, very little genuine curiosity on display in that hearing last week. There was posturing. And we've all been trained to posture, and we have to learn something different if what we want is to understand each other, to be in relationship with each other. Um, I think the other piece of this that it feels important to define that you touched on is, you know, what is the middle and is there a middle and is it lame in a moment like this where the stakes are so high to fall back on something like the middle? And here again, I think we have to totally examine our imagination, you know, what we mean when we use that word, what that thing is. A couple of things feel really important to me in that. And one is that that something we know from brain science is that that we tend um, to think of 
the other side when things get polarized, whatever that other side is, as we tend to associate everybody on that side of the line, which presumably is in the middle, if the middle exists, we tend to associate everybody on that other side of the line with the most extreme voices and exemplars, the most offensive the, you know, the people who we see who are loudest, who are, who are most visible, and with whom we know absolutely what we disagree on, and it may feel irreconcilable. Um, but that's not really, that's not fair. It's not true to, to reality. And I understand and honor all the emotion that has been floating around in our midst last week. So I understand when people said, you know, are you saying we should be in conversation with predators and rapists? Um, no, that's not what I was saying. I don't. I think that this reckoning we have to do uh, includes a lot of people who may come at this from a different perspective, may be carrying some different questions. Uh, so, so may so there there is room for again. There's a lot of room where we have to just listen and understand in order to walk into a shared future, uh, but who are not predators and rapists. And you know. I don't think the idea of the center is actually very interesting to me because I really like to talk to people who have deep convictions. And I think that our deep convictions and our sense of truth and and the robust way we wrestle with things and claim our identities, this is our gift to each other. But I think the center, like to me, the, I sometimes think about the vast middle. Like I think that we have let every important subject be framed by those loudest, most visible, you know, sometimes that means they're the most powerful. Sometimes it means they're the best public, self-publicized. Sometimes it's about the way we tell the news, which is about, uh, you know, talking about the worst things that happened. We have let our most important and more, most intimate and most tender discussions be framed by those voices. And we have to take the reckoning, the shared aspirations, the shared questions, if not shared answers, the shared love for our children and sense that I think a lot of us across, way across this line share that we don't, this is not the world we want them to see or be growing up in. We have to take back this vast middle, which is the heart of our life together. And it's much bigger than the center. I am, I am there and I, I, you know, it's a place where we carry our questions alongside our answers, and we carry some curiosity alongside our convictions. And I think if we could create some better spaces for conversation, you know, just people starting where they are and model that that is an interesting place, a robust place, that that, in fact, is the heart of our life together, that we can start doing the hard work, even if the Senate committee can't, then we start to build out, like, a much more interesting and vital place that is, yeah, the middle, the heart of our life together. And I, I think the other piece of this that is something that is always important to me is taking is is thinking about history and how change happens. Again, to come back to what I said a minute ago about Anthony Appiah, all of the important changes, all of the important social change and moral change that we can see Certainly the civil rights movement, anything, anything you could name. You know, the question, is there a middle ground between slavery and abolition? Um, maybe middle ground is not the right word, but what there is between the time that a, that a way we've been living is, is revealed to be 
horrendous, that the practices that were condoned, not just condoned, but moral, that our eyes are opened um, to the fact that it is repugnant and that we must live differently. In every case, when that happens in history, there are some people who see it first, and there's a long period of gestation. And movements do come along and kind of uproot structures. Uh, but th- those, you know, there's the critical mass, and then there's this period of what John Paul Lederach, our friend, calls critical yeast, where small groups of people in an unlikely quality of relationship start to create new possibilities. And then that becomes infectious, um, and it always takes longer than it should. But it can start in some places immediately. Um, and so, yeah, that middle ground of where those of us who feel compelled to, yes, fight what needs to be fought, yes, protect those who need protection, but also start to create those completely new ways of living, generative realities, which is going to include a whole different way to talk to each other and listen to each other and build relationship over time, we begin, and that is always the connective tissue between that way of being that we want to overcome and that world that we want to inhabit and pass on to our children. I think um, what so many people find difficult about this notion of this kind of conversation and kind of engagement is that for so many of us, our only exposure to people on, quote, the other side or people with whom we have very deep disagreements is, you know, what we see on network television, what we see, you know, it's always the loudest, most aggressive voices. And for so many of us, I think it's difficult to imagine finding someone with whom we could enter into this relationship of trust and questioning together. Um, So I'm just wondering if you have any words about, you know, for, for those of us listening who do want to enter into this commitment, where could we look or where could we kind of start to just make those baby steps toward building that trust and building those relationships? Yeah, I, that's such an important question because because the way things get divided up and I mean I'm so sick of everybody overusing the word bubble, but right like the bubbles. <laughs> it means that it's it's not only that we don't come into contact with people or you know, but that we can, it's we start to not be able to imagine. Like we can't we can't even imagine how we could get into the room with the people who are vexing us. And you know, one of the things I feel about this is that our that we that we kind of get blinded that we are blinded by that and and that in fact the the way of breaking out in, of that is actually to get very analog and close to home because the truth is that you know just everybody i know has some family member who who they have tried and often failed to have this iconic conversation we're trying to have um nationally. You know, this is not rocket science, but because of the bubbles and because of the ways we've been dividing things up, it does require some kind of looking up, looking out, making some effort, making some outreach. But it's kind of the six degrees of separation thing. Like we have a lot of really ordinary intelligence in our lives about this. So there is 
there are family members who are different. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, an irony, and this could be its own conversation, is that families can be absolutely the hardest place, like the place you should not try to begin this. Um, However, I've wondered if we could kind of swap those family members, right? Like, I take your brother-in-law and you take mine. (laughs) Um, And I also just think there are plenty of ways um, in very close to home, you know, like the we we all do if we just give this a little bit of thought you know the the parents of one of your children's friends who you know belong to the other party um or you know the columnist in your local newspaper who writes things that you know 80% of it you disagree with but you think this is a smart person and 20% of what they write is is really interesting and it's thought provoking in a way that feels good and so I think it's just a matter of, um, yes, it does take some effort, but it's a matter of actually thinking about who you, you know, and doing this with a small group of people, like who you do know or who you can reach out to to say, hey, do you have somebody in your circles, um, in your workplace, in your family, in your community who would like to engage in this conversation with us? It Here's the other, I think also, Marie, something people get caught up in is thinking that if they're not bringing that most inflammatory person on the other side into the conversation, then it's then it's not going to make a difference. And that's not right. And in fact, I wouldn't recommend inviting those most inflammatory people because then you're just going to recreate the dynamic that this rut that we're in. Um, but if we're if what we're trying to do is like build out that vast middle, the heart of our life together to be something different, you don't go for those people. You go for somebody who's different but reasonable. And we can all, just by looking around in our world, by asking people we know for suggestions, we can find those people, we can invite them. 